I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's La Liga Lowdown Match Day Recap. This time recapping all the action from the 21st round of the 2019-20 season. As always, we're a rebroadcast on Sirius XMFC 157. And as always, I'm your host, Hugh McTeer. We have new leaders this week in La Liga Santander as Real Madrid have retaken top spot for the first time since the end of match day 8 at the start of October. Vuelve la bola para Kroos. Vuelve a centrar Kroos. Gol. Y gol, 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 gol de Nacho. Y gol, 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 gol. Se veía venir. Nacho se lo dedica a Zinedine Zidane. Segundo balón puesto desde el costado. El Valladolid no salió. Se quedó en el área. Y Nacho de cabeza al palo derecho de Masir. Batió al Valladolid. Marca el Madrid. Marca Nacho. Nacho was the hero for Real Madrid as they visited Real Valladolid on Sunday night. He was only making his fifth La Liga appearance of the season and was doing so because of the suspension to starting right-back Danny Carvajal and the fact that backup right-back Alvaro Odriozola had just been loaned to Bayern Munich. Zidane opted for Nacho and it paid off. Defensively, Real Valladolid didn't really attack his side of the pitch that much, which was a little strange. Then in attack, Nacho turned in the second ball at a corner, becoming Real Madrid's 18th different goalscorer this season, and he ran to hug Zidane on the sidelines as he celebrated. This was a huge victory for Real Madrid, and it means they've now gone 100 days undefeated, with no losses in 19 matches, 14 of which have been victories. They've been so strong defensively this season, conceding just 13 goals across 21 La Liga matches. Never in the club's history have they had a better goals conceded record at this stage. In 1964-65 and in 1987-88 they'd also conceded 13 after 21 games and now in 2019-20 they've done the same. Making these three points taste even sweeter for Real Madrid is the fact that Barcelona collected zero points from this round. Kiki Setien's side went to Valencia and once again dominated possession without necessarily dominating the match. Let's bring in our man in Valencia, Paco Pollock now, to discuss this. And Paco, it was 2-0 to Valencia. But should it have been an even larger scoreline, considering there was the penalty save and the disallowed Gabriel goal? Absolutely, yes. 
If it wasn't for Ter Stegen's save in the penalty and overall performance, the scoreline would have been scandalous for Valencia, who dominated every single area of the game except, you know, passing the ball around without creating any sense of danger. And Gabriel Paulista's goal was the perfect capper for the defender, who did a great job at the back, but unfortunately the referee wasn't really having his best night and disallowed it. Overall, the scoreboard didn't really reflect what we saw at Mestalla. You talked there about how possession and passes were the one area where Valencia didn't dominate. The Kiki City in Barcelona had 74% possession and 800 passes, but somehow Valencia always seemed in control. Can you explain that? Actually, yes, but I don't think Barca fans might like this. Simply put, Setien's Barca was as inoffensive as a kitten, passing and passing and passing the ball, but never really piercing through Valencia's midfield or defense. And this happens because the passing was always done horizontally or backwards, never vertically. Barca, in my view, might be facing a crossroads which potentially spells trouble for them. Yes, Setien is perceived as a return to the basics of the Cruyff style, but that style has to evolve into something modern, which actually puts the opposition in some trouble. Against Valencia, the bats only needed focus and a bit of accuracy in front to really hurt the culés. So, guess what other big European teams might do to them if they don't improve quickly? Who were the standout performers for Valencia? For me, Ferran Torres was great. What do you think? And who else really stood out? Um, most of the team, really. The first half, for example, by Jose Luis Gallá was perfect in the left wing. He pocketed Ansu Fati and Sergi Roberto without breaking a sweat. Also, Francis Coquelin once again showed that he might be one of the few all-around midfielders in the world who are able to stop Leo Messi on his tracks. And he repeated the same spectacular showcase that he delivered in the Copa del Rey final last May. Also, Geoffrey Condogbia was king once again, finally showing us a peak of that superior player that dominated two seasons ago. Gabriel Paulista and Garay were also great, Jaume made a couple of good saves, and finally the whole attacking front was spot on, with two more goals for a Maxi Gomez who is already improving on his Celta stats. Yeah, you mentioned that Messi was ineffective for once. What happened with him in this game? 11 shots, but no goal. Well, it happened for a number of reasons. First up, he was the best player for Barca on Saturday, but again, his team played awfully, so that was a given. But he wasn't really effective mainly because of the marking by Condogbia and Coquelin in the midfield. He had plenty of chances, but most of them were free kicks or long-range shots, never really having the space to find an opening and fire. So, possibly in one of the games where his team seemed more hapless, Leo Messi couldn't really swoop in to save the day. Finally, Paco, what was the reaction like to Rodrigo Moreno from the Valencia fans, considering that he's been linked with a transfer to this weekend's rivals, Barcelona? Rodrigo himself seemed a bit distraught after the game and quickly left the pitch. He didn't stay to salute the fans. But regardless, I think the fan base is a bit nervous, actually, about his potential transfer, not because of the fact Barca might pay 60 million for him, but because they perceive Peter Lim might not have a proper replacement in his pocket to bring in immediately after. And Rodrigo's departure would be a huge blow to the team's potential. So these remaining days, till the end of the transfer market, are going to be very tense in the city, because Valencia with Rodrigo are a much better team than a Rodrigo-less Valencia. Thanks Paco, let's now talk about the other Barcelona-based team, Espanyol. They too have a new coach in Abelardo and it's been quite positive for them. 
They've had some difficult fixtures already as they've had to play Barcelona, Villarreal and Athletic Club with their new coach, but they've not lost yet. They beat Villarreal, drew with Barcelona and also drew this weekend against Athletic Club 1-1 at the RCDE Stadium. Friend of the podcast, Jeff Gillingham, is a season ticket holder and was there and he speaks to us now about this new look Espanyol who've signed Raul de Thomas from Benfica. And de Thomas has scored in all three of his appearances since signing for the Catalan club. Jeff, how good has he been and how good was he specifically in this game against Athletic Club? The early signs from Raul de Thomas have been really positive actually um, because obviously there's a lot of hope and expectation put on his shoulders not only with the transfer fee but also because of the situation that we're in but thus far he sort of he has looked decent but I think in part thanks to the partnership he's building with Jonathan Caleri up top it's more Caleri's job to try and work the defenders and I don't know try and draw them out of position then it's De Tomas's role to be in the right place at the right time and from the first three games, that's been the case. He's he's just more alive in the box than anyone we've had probably since Borja last season. Uh, and specifically um, against Athletic, I mean, it wasn't exactly a stellar performance or anything, but he was still able to get on the score sheet, which I guess is a sign of a good goal scorer. For the final half hour, Espanyol played with all three of their winter signings, with centre-back Leandro Cabrera and winger Adrian Mbarba also featuring. How did that look? Yeah, it was quite exciting. I, I thought Cabrera had an excellent game at the back and he made up for a lot of Bernardo's mistakes. Uh, RDT, he was just kind of placed up top along with Caleri doing a lot of the work. But when Caleri went off for Wule, RDT suddenly had to become more of the target man, the focal point when we were putting long balls into his area. And then we had Mbaba come off the bench. Um, he looked lively, but his final ball wasn't that great. I mean, he failed to beat the first man on a lot of his crosses. Although, having said that, he has only played in one training session. Now, what about Abelardo? He's the other big change to have happened at the club, and it's been a very positive one. How has the new coach changed the team, both tactically and emotionally? Well, what Abelardo has brought is a switch to a 4-4-2 system, albeit not always with out-and-out wingers, like we saw against Athletic on Saturday. So, for that game, we had... Sergio Dada coming in from the left, Oscar Melendo coming in from the right. But with Manito Vargas and Adrian Barber on the bench, I imagine they'll be our wingers moving forward. So I'm not sure if that means that Dada will sort of become a part of the front two like he was against Barcelona, or if he'll end up displacing Mark Rocco or David Lopez in midfield. Yet what seems clear is that the players understand the system a lot better than they did under Machin and his insistence with a three-man defence. But regarding the emotional elements, the draw against Barcelona to kick off the Abelardo era definitely earned him a lot of credit because there was some initial pessimism when he first took over given his Blaugrana past. But we're unbeaten in the league since he took over, so there's not really too much to complain about. Looking at Athletic, Asier Villalibre got rare minutes and made the most of them with his goal. What did you think of the 22-year-old? Yeah, I was quite surprised by Villalibre actually because I'd heard of him but I hadn't really had a chance to watch him yet. But the thing that stuck out to me was his movements. I thought that was really impressive. And he seemed to have a really good understanding with Inaki Williams in attack, where if Villalibre was in the centre, Inaki would go to the right and vice versa. So if Inaki was through the middle, Villalibre was going to the right. And, I mean, he topped off his performance with a goal, which was clearly like a training ground routine. And, yeah, he, he could potentially be their answer to Adarith, but we'll see. 
Thanks, Jeff. It was a decent result for Espanyol on the pitch, but off it, it wasn't such a great day. Sadly, Athletic Clubs and Yaki Williams was subjected to racist abuse from a small section of the crowd in that game at the RCDE Stadium. While there were also images shared of violent clashes between Espanyol and Athletic Club fans before the game, just as there was between Valencia and Barcelona fans at their fixture. It's not a good look, and that kind of behaviour really needs to stop. La Liga seems to be taking a tough stance, which is a good sign. Let's hope we don't see these kind of scenes again. Now Vesso under pressure from Chimi Avila. And it looks as if the Argentine is injured. Yep, immediately, immediately held his left leg. And there was no contact on him, no foul on him. And that's the worrying thing here, Tony. Yeah, maybe the knee. Well, here tonight, it's an early finish. 56 minutes on the clock. And Luis Ezequiel Avila from Rosario cannot continue. It looks to be a left knee injury. And he is clearly in some serious pain. The first game of this weekend was a bittersweet one for Osasuna. They took on Levante at home and they won the game 2-0 thanks to a couple of late goals. A Ruben Garcia penalty after a Jose Campagna body check in the box. It was as strong as it was unnecessary. Then Inigo Perez added another goal to seal the win. The first one in the league for Osasuna in six matches. But the headlines around Pamplona are all about what happened to Chimi Avila. In the 56th minute of the match, the energetic and effective Argentine striker planted his knee into the ground in the wrong way. El Sadar Stadium went silent as he was stretchered off before everyone applauded. Everyone feared the worst and this was confirmed over the weekend. With Chimi suffering a cruciate ligament injury, his season is over. That's a blow for Osasuna and a shame for Spanish football in general because he'd been brilliant this season. Everyone at La Liga Lowdown obviously wishes him a speedy recovery. We've come to the end now of the first half of this week's episode, but stay tuned because after the break we'll be dissecting Atletico Madrid's latest poor result. That's coming up after this short break. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, 
You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome back to this week's La Liga Lowdown episode. It's time to ask what's gone wrong at Atletico Madrid. Since losing in the Spanish Super Cup at the start of January, they've had a terrible time of it. There was a 2-0 loss at Ibar last weekend, the first ever top-flight defeat to the Basque side. Then in midweek, they visited third-tier team cultural Leonesa in the Copa del Rey and they were beaten 2-1 in extra time. And now this weekend, when they had a seemingly winnable game against Leganes, who entered the match bottom of the table, Diego Simeone's side were held to a nil-nil draw. Atletico Madrid season ticket holder Brendy Boyle was there and joins us now. Brendy, how much was this result about bad Atleti or good Leganes? A huge point for Leganes after their derby disappointment against Getafe last Friday night. They played really well, uh, Javier Aguirre's men. They defended pretty well. In the first half, they created a lot of chances. Um, as they say here, they're able to llegar, they're able to arrive to the Atletico area pretty pretty quickly, pretty easily on the transition, and they're able to create a few dangerous chances. Martin Braithwaite was a threat as always. In terms of Atletico, the pressure continues to pile after a really tough week. They created uh, a lot of chances in attack. Once again, it's not. It wasn't the the attack which was the problem. Uh, Correa and Morata connected quite well. Vitolo was lively in the second half. Joao Felix had his moments, um, but he also had his moments of frustration. But the real problem was, again was in midfield where they lacked personalidad, uh, personality, where they were unable to impose themselves, control the game, attack from midfield, build steadily, build attacks, get the fullbacks into the game, um, and they were they were unable to gain that territorial pressure and that ability to to pen like an is in to really pressure them high up the field and win the ball back in dangerous areas all too often Atletico were trying to build attacks from deep and it was all too slow uh Simi Versalico returned after a long injury and that's exactly how he looked like a man who would return from a long injury Renan Lodi once again showed why in recent weeks Simeone had opted for Saul at left back because he really struggled to get any foothold in the game as expected, the urgency was there in the second half as Atletico really had to go for the game. They had Correa, Vitolo, Joao Felix, Marat on the pitch. But it never really felt like the goal was going to come. It was all too slow. There was too many long balls. Everything was left to chance and depending on a leg and his mistake, which eventually never came. What happened in the final few minutes of this one with the time wasting and the antics with Cuellar, the leg and his goalkeeper? The game finished in pretty farcical circumstances with Leganes goalkeeper Pichu Cuea receiving two yellow cards in quick succession, one of which for an altercation with the Atletico ball boy in the Fondo Sur. And that's how the game fizzled out in frustrating circumstances for Diego Simeone's men. I'm curious to know, Brendy, what was the reception like for under-pressure Simeone from the crowd at the Wanda Metropolitano? Diego Simeone had a great reception when his name was called out over the speaker but when the Fondo Sur sang their Ole 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 Cholo Simeone chant it was greeted by 
a significant number of whistles around the stadium and it's clear that there's now a growing partition between the Cholo loyalists and those who are wanting change. It's four bad results in a row and the derby is coming up next week. What's the outlook right now for Atleti? Looking ahead, they have a huge Madrid derby in the Bernabeu next weekend. And given the form of their rivals Sevilla, Valencia and Getafe, they now have a real fight on hands for a top four place. The pressure is growing on Cholo, there's no doubt about that. But he's surely unsackable, right? I don't know, you'd think Simeone is unsackable, but you never quite know in football. Let's talk now about the team that's moved level on points with Atletico Madrid and that has leapfrogged them into fourth place on goal difference. That team is Atafi, who defeated Real Betis 1-0 on Sunday thanks to a goal in the 89th minute as Angel Rodriguez scored from the penalty spot following an Alex Moreno handball. A little bit controversial considering there'd also been a penalty shot for handball for Real Betis up the other end, but Angel didn't care and he slotted away the penalty for the three points. Dom Tancock, a Hitafi fan from England who has fallen for the club through various trips to Madrid and who visits every January was there at this one and he provided this post-match report for La Liga lowdown from outside the ground, starting off by telling us about the great atmosphere. The atmosphere at the Coliseum was probably one of the best I've experienced in the four or five times I've been there. When the referee went over to look at the monitor for the handball, um, the anticipation in the crowd was was there, the excitement was there because you could see on the monitor on, in the stadium that it, it was handball with the new rules and um, when he was when it was given there was a real excitement and anticipation of Katafa getting the win as the game was going into stoppage time and when Angel put the penalty away the relief the atmosphere at the at the home end was was fantastic really really good I think it was a deserved win because although in the first half Betis were by far the better team started really brightly played some lovely attacking football they never really created that much and they missed a good opportunity halfway through the first half and then after that Getafe grew into the game Betis started to play spoiling tactics which you know Getafe get accused of a lot and the keeper made a really good save from the free kick from Damien Suarez right before half time and then in the second half although it looked like it was going for a draw before the penalty Getafe were the ones on on, on the advance and looked like they were going to you know, if anyone was going to score, it, it was it was Getafe in the second half. I think you have to really credit Bordalas for his changes and, and the the introduction of of Davidson gives them something slightly different. The first thing he did when he got the ball was do a little step over, got the crowd up, um, and he was motioning to the crowd to really raise raise the atmosphere. Played a lovely little flick through to Mata, who put it over the bar. And ultimately, I think he's going to be a really good signing for Getafe because it gives them something something slightly different. just heard the Sevilla hymn there, it's always a special moment before every match at the Sanchez Peace Juan, but even more so when it's a night game, even more so when it's a regional derby, even more so if it's the club's 130th birthday. That's what the situation was on Saturday night as they hosted fellow Andalusian side Granada and La Liga Lowdown's Gregor Chappelle was there in the press box to witness it. It was two first half goals from Luke de Jong and Nolito that made this a fairly comfortable home victory for Sevilla. Gregor, how important was that considering some of the struggles they've had at home this season? 
No, I think this was vital that they won this game, um, especially after the... Well, they've had some rocky home form over the last few weeks, to say the least. Uh, in their last three games at the sanchez Peath one, they've lost to Real and they've drawn against Bilbao, so it's hardly been very impressive, like you say. And especially after the defeat to Madrid at the Bernabeu last week, it was vital to try and get back on track, especially if they want to push for the Champions League places this year. So I'm hoping this win against you know a, a notoriously well-organised Granada team will give them a bit of confidence going forward and hopefully it's the start of some good home form over the next few weeks, but we just kind of have to wait and see what happens. Granada are usually so tough to break down, so what did Sevilla do to be able to break them down twice in the first half? You know, it was just a really impressive, organised display, and really, also in particular, like the fullbacks, I thought were standouts, Reguilón and Navas, particularly Navas. Him and Ocampos were linking up really well on the right-hand side. I mean, we saw it for the first goal, the delivery was superb, and he had three or four other crosses like that in the first half as well. Granada were better in the second half, but did it ever really feel like they would pull off a comeback? Yeah, I don't actually remember Granada registering a short goal in the first half. But, you know, the first 15 minutes of the second half, they came out, they were showing a bit of intent. Um, they had a goal. I mean, they didn't really create anything clear-cut, but they had a couple of attempts on goal. But it was a case of good game management, I think, from Lopetegui. He brought on Kunde, so we had three centre-backs on the park at that time. I mean, albeit Jesus Navas and Reguilón were still going up and down the line but they were filling in when needed and Sibia essentially had a back five so they were able to contain Granada far more easily and also had Gudeli and Fernando sitting in front so it was a really solid um, defensive unit they had there and they did a really good job of just containing Granada and seeing the game out. There was no ever Banega in this game for Sevilla due to suspension and from the summer onwards there will be no ever Banega given that he's agreed to transfer away from the club. What has the reaction been to that news and Footballistically, how big of a loss will that be? Yeah, I mean, a lot of Sevilla fans are really sad to see him go. He's been such a great servant for the club over so many years. He's put in some really important performances for them. And as we all know, he's a top, top player. Really hard to replace him. But, you know, there is cause for optimism. We saw against Granada, he was obviously absent, but Sevilla still put in a really strong performance. So, I mean, when a player like Eber Benega goes, it's always hard to replace him. But... It's not all bad news and I'm sure all Sevilla fans will be wishing him well for the rest of his career and looking back on his time at Sevilla with really, really fond memories. Thanks, Gregor. Now, it has to be said that this weekend wasn't a weekend of many goals in La Liga. In total, there were just 16 across the 10 matches of the round. There were only two matches in the whole weekend with more than two goals in them. Both those games took place in the Basque Country. The first of them was Alaves and their home match against Villarreal on Saturday. This was quite an end-to-end game with lots of direct football and a Joselu equaliser cancelled out Carlos Baca's opener to mean that it was 1-1 heading into the final 10 minutes. Villarreal coach Javi Calleja rolled the dice by introducing the 19-year-old kid Fernando Nino for his debut. And, well, this happened. Nino scored the winner for Villarreal to earn them a 2-1 victory, a very special day for the teenager. The other Basque-based game with more than two goals was on Sunday as Real Sofidad hosted Real Mallorca. After a goalless first half, Real Sofidad got the job done in the second period. Alexander Isak scored in the first minute 
after the restart before an own goal from Fran Gámez and a late Porto goal made it a 3-0 win and continued Real Mallorca's terrible away form. It's 10 away La Liga matches for them now this season. They have one point to show for it. The final game to discuss of the weekend was Celta Vigo versus Aibar. It was one of the goalless draws of the weekend, but there was plenty of action in this one and Aibar's goalkeeper Marko Dimitrovic had to be really impressive to keep Celta Vigo out and to earn a point for Aibar. For Celta Vigo, it's worrying times. Their new coach Oscar Garcia has now had nine La Liga matches. It's one win, five draws and three defeats. That's relegation form. Of course, we'll be keeping you up to date on the relegation battle, on the title race and on the push for Europe over the rest of the season with our weekly match day recaps. For this week, my thanks go out to Paco Pollitt, Jeff Gillingham, Brendy Boyle, Dom Tancock and Gregor Chappell. I've been your host, Jim McTeer, and I thank you for listening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.